verse number nine. This sets up the passage in which we will be taking our attention from Genesis 3 and 9, the book of beginnings. We get an example of the creative purposes and processes of God. And in verse number nine of chapter three, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. Not naked physically alone, but spiritually naked because of what they had done. They felt exposed in a spiritual sense. I hid myself. And he said, God said, who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. This is a very familiar passage of scripture from the book of Genesis that relates to us the story of the fall, a fallen nature. And there is something that comes after this account that I want to speak about tonight. I want to preach tonight on the imperfect trifecta. The imperfect trifecta. Turn to your neighbor and say, he said, imperfect trifecta. That's what he said. That's what he said. <laughs> That's what he said. The imperfect trifecta. Thank you, Lord, for your blessing. Touch us tonight. We give to you thanks and we worship you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Praise God. Trifecta comes from those individuals that bet on horse racing, where you bet on the first, second, and third winner in order. So you're not betting on just the first horse that you think will win. The trifecta is you're betting on the first, second, and third horse that wins. The term came about in the early 1970s, and since then it has become known in other vernacular as just something that is a three-peat, something in three sequences. And so it's later used as a trio, a trio. It is hazy, hot, and humid would be a trifecta of summer. This passage that we read here exposes three primary characters. And the three primary characters that are given to us is man, woe man, and the serpent. God had original intention, and he placed them in a, a place of paradise. God's intention was what he creates in the beginning. It is not a place of fallenness. It is not a place of dysfunction. It is not a place of confusion. God intended, and his purpose was to place humanity in a place where there is security instead of insecurity. And... This description tells us of the end results of a decision that is made on the part of man and woman, and it includes the enticement of the serpent. And so there's three principal characters. 
because of their decision and because of their actions, there are consequences. There's always consequences to sin. You may not feel like it's something that's going to impact you in the short term, but it has a ripple effect, and there are consequences to it. Somebody said amen. You know what I'm talking about? Sin is an evil. Sin is, it is a deception, and it destroys. And I want you to know tonight, as a pastor of a church, I hate sin. Down with sin, because all that sin does is destroys. What I want is not sin, but I want freedom and liberty in the Holy Ghost. Now, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's not bondage. There's liberty. There's not shackles and chains. There's a freedom. It's the devil that wants to enslave and enshackle and chain individuals. It's God whose original intention was that there would be nothing that would keep your hands at your side, but there would be freedom and liberty to raise your hands and say, he's the one that created me, and between me and him, everything is good and it's fine, and that's what worship is. When you can't get your hands up, there's a severing because of the consequences of sin. What do you say in the house of God tonight? We reconnect the things that has severed us from God and we lift our hands and we say, God, I'm going to praise you and magnify you because I am wonderfully and fearfully made. I was made to worship you. These bones were made to pour out praise to you. But instead... It is like pouring out a bottle of BBs and then trying to put them all back in the bottle. It is like collecting the feathers of a busted pillow after they've been blown to the wind. I want you to know tonight that the devil is a liar. I want you to know I don't care how he entices, how he paints it, how he markets it up. It's not what you think. There are consequences to that game. I want you to know in the house of God, things are different because when you come to the house of God, there's no slick marketing that has tragic consequences behind it, but you get what you get. When you feel the joy of the Lord, you can walk away and say, this is joy unspeakable, and it is what it was supposed to be, and there are no deceptions attached to it. It's joy. It's the comfort. It's the peace of God. And so, it was imperfect. And that's why it's the imperfect trifecta. It includes three characters. There are three curses. And it is imperfection that comes from their decisions and their choices. It's a step away from perfection. God didn't intend for you to be addicted Oh, I need to move on right here, but I think I'll just stay right here for a minute. God created, he put them in the garden, and he gave them opportunity because his intention was not for them to walk around in deception and dysfunction, but so that they could understand and recognize what real security is and that they wouldn't have coping mechanisms that they go out and try to achieve in life so they can cope with the tragic consequences of what they have done. That was not God's intention. God's intention was for you to walk away and say, I have the peace of God. I've got the 
the hand of God. If I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. And so I can walk away with a confidence in that because that is God's intention. God's intention was never to pile drive you to the very bottom until you are looking up thinking, how do I get myself out of this? That was not God's intention. It is the devil's intention. It's to destroy. And so God, in this beginning, he talks about creation. He talks about the description of where he placed them. Some fascinating things that are discussed in the passage of Scripture that seems to come out of nowhere. But it's to describe God's intention. And then the culture in which they were supposed to exercise themselves. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 10. God not only creates, but he describes this creation as a river that went out of Eden to water the garden. And it came into four heads, and the name of the first one was Passan. And it compassed the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. And delium, delium is a resin that comes off of trees. Presently, you can find it in Ethiopia. And it is on the same level as myrrh. It's very, very good for and used for perfumes. And the onyx stone. So he's placed them in this place where there are these things of value. God's intention is to put you in a church where there are things of value. Value. I'm telling you, the world, it's fool's gold. It looks good and it looks valuable, but when you get it in your hands, it's not the real thing. But God's intention here was, I'm putting you in a place in which there is a land that is good. And there's a river that flows in the name of of the second river is Gihon. The same is that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third uh, river is Hadekel, that is, which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. This is God's intention. Not only does he create it, but he tells them and he describes this is a valuable land. This is a good land. And then he provides to them the culture of what they're supposed to do. In Genesis 1.28, God blesses them and he says unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And so God puts them. He creates this place. He describes this place, his intention. And then he says the culture of this place is you are to go and be fruitful and multiply and replenish and subdue it. You are to put your hand to the plow and you are to work in this environment that I have created because this is a good place. And it is an opportunity to be involved in the culture of what God is doing. And yet what we find is a tragedy because a decision is made. And so we end up with an imperfect trifecta, and it's in reverse. Instead of God and man and woman, it's woman, man, and God.
God. That's the intention of the devil is to turn everything on its head. The original intention and the order of God is God and man and woman. That's the sequence in which he created. But the fall turns it around so that you have woman, man, and then God is left wandering around asking them, where are you? Because they have hid themselves. I want you to know that it is the purpose of the church to make sure that the proper trajectory is given in the house of God. Not the world's definition. Not the world's description. That's an illusion. I want God's way, not the world's way. I want the anointing of God, not the enemy of my soul. I don't want to walk according to the accuser of the brethren. I'm not walking according to the way of the serpent and the devil that wants to destroy. But I am walking according to the the exploits of God who creates all things and gives me an opportunity to be used in the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of the world. Let's thank the Lord together and worship him that God knows how to set things right. He knows how to set it right. So we have an imperfect trifecta. An imperfect trifecta. Praise God. And so it includes the man. Let's start with the man. Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 17, the first part of the trifecta is a curse on the man. Adam, he said unto Adam, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, saying, thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow thou shalt eat of it all the days of thy life, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, and for dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And so there is a curse that is given upon humanity. It's the first part of the trifecta. And if you're wondering what I'm doing, my iPad has gone on the blink. And so what I'm doing is I'm waiting for it to restart so that I can continue the message that I have prepared. And in the process of waiting for it to restart, I'm having to waste some time here, which is very, very uncomfortable. And it's not the first time that this has happened. It's happened multiple times, and it creates a very odd sense of feeling out of place because I'm lost and things aren't working the way that they're supposed to, and this is what the devil does. (laughs) He messes with things that are supposed to be going right. And so here the man is. Look at these key terms here. Sorrow and thorns and thistles and sweat and dust. In mercy, God doesn't curse the man's realm particularly, not man himself. But he curses the realm of man. And nothing is constructively said to Adam. What he gets is sorrow and sweat and dust. And that answers the fantasy of you will be like God. Instead of being like what am I dealing with? I'm dealing with sorrow, sweat, 
and dust. This becomes a common refrain from the wise man in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse number 8. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. It's going to be a hard life. This fall, this decision that you have made, these consequences are going to produce thorns and thistles. These are eloquent signs of nature that is untamed and that is encroaching, constantly encroaching upon humanity. No matter what you do, if you leave it, it will start encroaching because it's thorns and it's thistles. This is the environment that Adam is going to face. It's going to be sorrow, and it's going to be sweat, and it's going to be tears. The wise man in Proverbs chapter 24 said, I went by the field of the slothful and by the vineyard of the man void of understanding. And lo, it was grown over with thorns, and nettles had covered the face thereof, and the stone wall thereof was broken down. You're going to be working, Adam, and there's always going to be an encroachment upon you. There's going to be something wild that is growing out of the earth, and it's going to take blood, sweat, and tears to make sure things are in order, to make sure that the thistles don't overtake and, and, and choke out the things that you have created and carved out for yourself. There's a spiritual application there as well. Spiritually, you got to take care of some things. Why? Because we live in a fallen nature in which there is an encroachment upon the blessings of God. This is why when I come to the house of God, I'm making sure there's no thorns and there's no thistles. It may take some work, but I'm going to make sure that this place looks right and it looks nice. And it is an example of what God has provided and given. Adam, this is going to be your existence be a painful existence. Isaiah said in chapter 34, verse 13, thorns shall come up in her palaces, nettles and brambles in the fortresses thereof, and it shall be an habitation of dragons and a court for owls. That sounds spooky, but what is described there is this constant encroachment of, of the earth that has been cursed that Adam and man is going to have to rule over. It's a constant threat. It's just like the unconquered Canaanites in Israel. Numbers chapter 33, verse 55, God said, if you will not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, then it shall come to pass that those which you let remain of them shall be pricks in your eyes, thorns in your sides, and shall vex you in the land wherein you dwelt. We know by reading the Old Testament that there were examples of the children of Israel. They didn't completely drive out the inhabitants and they were always pricks in the eyes and thorn in the side. Just when they thought that they were accomplishing something, the Midianites would come and the Canaanites would come and the Philistines would come. And so this earth that is cursed is just like that Old Testament trajectory of being in the promised land. But the inhabitants are not completely removed. And so there's an encroachment. There's an encroachment. Man, in his own disorder, will now never subdue. He said, what did he say? He said, I want you to subdue the earth. Now humanity will never subdue the earth the way God intended. The only example that we get of anybody subduing the earth is when Jesus steps on the bow of the boat and he looks at nature and he says, peace be still. This is what Adam was supposed to accomplish when God created and described and gave to him a culture 
but Adam let it slip through his fingers because of decisions that he made. And his destiny all of a sudden changed. And so the first part of the trifecta is there is a curse on the ground. And what it is going to produce is blood, sweat, and tears, thorns, and thistles, and dust and sorrow this is the kind of world that we have to live in and deal with anybody know what i'm talking about if you've been in this world for very long you understand and recognize that it is not too pleasing to you doesn't care about what you think doesn't care about your emotions it is what it is and it's difficult and it takes hard work to carve something out i want to say tonight and testify to you that the best thing that you could do is carve out a life for God. Uh, carve out an existence and a purpose for God. That is the best thing that you could do with you and your family, your life individually. There's a lot of things that you could take excursions on, but the best thing that you could do was to be in the house of God and the anointing of God to be upon you. It may take blood, sweat, and tears to accomplish it, but I'm moving the thorns. I'm getting rid of the thistles, and I'm creating a place for God. I know it's going to encroach. I know it's going to try to come and take over, but I'm not letting it happen. I'm going to create an environment for God to dwell. Praise God. There is no dominating and there is no dominion. Adam finds himself in this predicament. Sorrow, thorns, thistles, sweat, and dust. Hard work, hard work. And there's no exit ramp off of it. It is what it is. The second part of the trifecta, the imperfect trifecta, is the woman. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 16. Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception in sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. This is not God's intention at all. This is a fallen nature. What happens now is all of a sudden on the horizon, there is pain and bondage that suddenly appears. The phrase, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you, portrays a marriage relationship in which control has slipped from the fully personal realm and now it's entered into the instinctive urges that are passive and act it becomes a battle and a struggle and a, a a leverage and a control thing this was never God's intention God created Adam and he created Eve to be a couple that would share responsibilities in the process of subduing the earth not a struggle and a battle over control of will and emotions and leverage and all kinds of other dysfunction enters into the equation because now instead of loving and cherishing, it becomes a desire to dominate and control. Sometimes you may have marriages in this world that is able to pull all of that together. But there's always, just like there's an encroachment, there's always this pool of sin that is always trying to drag it down. If you're married in the house of God tonight, you need to make your marriage centered in the house of God. And God needs to be in the center of it because if 
God's not in the center of it. There's an encroachment and a pulling to tear it to pieces. I'd be fighting for everything I had for my family and for my marriage. I don't care what has happened in the past. I don't even care what's happening in the present. You've got a future that is worthy to fight for and tell the enemy, get your hands off of what God has intended for me. That is dysfunction. That's a lie of the enemy. Constant pull, the second part of the trifecta. I mean, Genesis chapter 4 and verse number 7 echoes this same kind of terminology. It sounds like humanity's in a jungle. Because in that passage of Scripture, the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Rule, domination, control. So this is the this is the curse that is upon the woman. Childbearing is going to be a reflection of the fall. It's going to be painful. On the horizon is domination, and there's going to be a struggle. Man, the only thing that is going to help you overcome that curse is the Holy Ghost. And let me add to that some counseling. I find it ironic that the only person laughing is the new converts. That's, that's hilarious. Keep laughing, Brother Anthony. Praise God. It's going to be hard work, right? Because in a fallen nature, everything goes to decay. Oh, I hope you're hearing what I'm preaching and teaching here tonight. you got to work at some things. Why? Because the fallen nature is an encroachment and a drawing trying to tear down. You need the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost empowers you to make the decisions against the fallen nature that says, I'm not going that direction. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure that this works and it's right. Because that's not the way of God. The way of God is not divorce. The way of God is not dysfunction. The, the way of God is not fighting. The way of God is not brawling. The way of God is not insecurity. The way of God is not any of those things. The way of God is a security and understanding that we're in this thing together to do great things for God. And when we're both aligned, all of a sudden, we're greater than the two of us. But there's a synergy that takes place. And now we can do great things for God because we are on the same page. But if we're not on the same page, we're not doing what God wants us to do and we're stunted in our growth and we can't move forward and we're paralyzed and immobilized. We need to be vitalized by prayer. Praise God, there is absolutely nothing wrong. I, I don't know what, what, what it is, okay? I'm just... I'm just, I'm veering off of here. I'm sorry, but it needs to be done. There is nothing wrong with addressing some things and working on it. Well, I'm not going to counseling because I just don't do that kind of stuff. You work it out. The Holy Ghost helps you work. The greatest investment that you could ever make is your marriage. It's the greatest investment. 
And so if it's the greatest investment, we got to make this thing work. Now, don't run off to the counselor and get with the counselor. And when the counselor starts coming down your road, I'm out of here. I'm leaving because you're the problem. And the counselor's now talking about me, and I don't want anything to do. I'll go find another counselor. That's not the way it works. The way it works is here's what you need to do, and here's what you need to do so that the two of you can come together. And so what I need, I need the Holy Ghost to direct me and guide me and empower me to do what needs to be done. And then I'm going to work on this on a monthly basis, a weekly basis. I don't care, care how much time it takes. We're going to work through this because we want to be the best that we can be. There is absolutely nothing wrong with that. Actually, that should be something that should be advised so that you can be powerful in the kingdom of God. What do I need to do to get a better response? Pound the gavel here. I'm on your side because I see what you could do in the kingdom of God if you're on the same page. Revival could take place. Things could break out. God can move in great ways because there is something happening because the, the Holy Ghost is empowering you to do a great work. I'm not against that at all. I'm for that. I said, I'm for that. I'm for that. I'm for that. I need some other people to get on board and say, hey, we're for that too. We're for that too. We're not joining up with somebody else. We're for that too. You guys need to work this out. We need to be strong together. Praise God. Musicians, come, please. Wow, just blew up the second part of the trifecta, but it's true. It's true. Is that okay? third part of the trifecta is a curse on the serpent. Now, just, just for a side note, it's interesting that apparently the serpent was not something that was cast down. There's a lot of conjecture about that in theological circles about what the, the actual posture of the serpent was. And it wasn't even actually the serpent or the snake itself. It was the incarnation of Satan himself that enters into and there's an unmasking of that when God curses the serpent and throws him down and says, you're going to eat of the dust of the earth all the days of your life. And so here's the curse that is placed upon the serpent. Because you have done this, you are cursed above all cattle and every beast of the field upon the, thy belly shalt thou go and the dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and you will bruise his heel. Enmity means personal hostility. That's what enmity means. And so the serpent, in between the serpent and humanity, there's going to be a personal hostility. Did you know the devil doesn't want you in the house of God here tonight? Because there is a personal hostility. And it's striking at God ultimately, but he's trying to get at God through you. I want the devil to know tonight, you're not getting at God through me. Because me and God, we're on the same. We're in solidarity. We're, we're in agreement. We're not going your way. We're over here with what God is doing. 
there is a personal hostility because he wants to tear down everything that you've got. He didn't want you to come to church tonight. He didn't want you raising your hands and worshiping God. He doesn't want you sitting on a church pew. He doesn't want you standing. He doesn't even want you in the building. But you're here in the building and you're making a statement that I'm on the Lord's side. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Mm. People are deceived into blaming God. People are deceived into blaming God. What, what did Eve do? She blamed the serpent. Adam blamed her as a blame game. And so people want to blame God. Hey, God's not the problem. <laughs> the problem is some of my, <laughs> my own problems and my falling into the trap of a lie. A liar is the serpent. And so the serpent, according to this third part of the trifecta, the serpent is going to constantly bruise the heel of humanity. What does that mean? Failures, shortcomings, mess ups, mistakes. Anybody been there, huh? Anybody ever been there? You're just walking along and all of a sudden, ooh, what was that? That was a failure. That was a mistake. What happened and who was it? It was the serpent that has a personal hostility. And sometimes it's by my own doing. i got to watch where I'm stepping. I've got to watch what I'm doing because there is an enemy that's constantly trying to bruise my heel. I don't like it. I didn't intend it in some cases. And in some cases I did. But he's always there trying his very best to trip me up, to bruise my heel. Oh, I wish there was something in the house of God that would be a crushing on the head of the serpent. I was sitting at my table and this came to me like a shaft of light. This next phrase, it's failure, shortcomings, mess ups, mistakes, and then like a shaft of light, it came to me and I quickly typed it in. Brainless, derivatives, devoid of common sense. Brainless. Why brainless? Well, because some people, you ask them, why'd you do what you did? I don't even know. <laughs> My brain, something happened there. Brainless derivatives, because the derivatives means there's multiple streams. Sometimes when you do things that are dumb, there's multiple streams that happen. It's not just there, it's there, 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 and there. So it's brainless derivatives devoid, which means all of a sudden something went right out the window. What went right out the window? Common sense. Brainless derivatives void of common sense. I'm just walking along and all of a sudden, bam, brainless derivatives void of common sense. And so as a part of humanity, I'm always struggling. I'm always dealing with these things. I'm walking along and a constant reminder of a strike. It could happen at any time and all of a sudden I am snake bit. Oh, but wait a minute. There's some things in the scripture that help me understand the curse. If he's going to bruise your heel, at some point there's a promise that you're going to crush his head. <laughs> 
So I'm walking along and there's a mistake, ow, 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 but there's a promise somehow that it can turn from an ow to a hey, 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 hey. I'm going to crush the head of the enemy because there's a promise coming. If you've ever had a mistake and your heel is bruised, tonight would be your opportunity to say, through the power of Jesus Christ, there is a stomping on the head of the enemy. It's not my power, but it's his power. It's not my power, but it's his power. He may bruise my heel, but I'm going to stomp on his head. I'm going to stomp on his head. If you've got a failure, if you've got a circumstance, you need to stomp on the head of the enemy tonight and say, you bruised me, you bruised me, but I'm going to crush you.